Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Guys, welcome to Paradox. We are so glad that you joined us today. I'm Josh. I'm Jimmy, and it's a gorgeous day in Austin, Texas. It is, and we are so incredibly excited to have Shanti Feldhahn today. Shanti, how are you doing? I am doing great today. Shanti has a graduate degree from Harvard. She was an analyst on Wall Street. She's also a social researcher, best-selling author, and popular speaker. Her Four Women Only and Four Men Only sold over 2 million copies, and it's now in 23 languages. Is that correct? That is correct. Actually, believe it or not, we just got 24, the 24th language. What was the 24th? It was actually, here's a trivia question. The language is Tigriana. Oh, I had to look it up. It's it's from the country of Eritrea. And then I had to look up that too. That's in Northern Africa. It's in the Middle East. It's right across from Saudi Arabia. But you know, while you're on this subject, how, how interesting is it that these books, I mean, how much does do the different cultures impact these different gender differences? You know, it's fascinating to me that um, what I felt very, very strongly as I was doing the research for all these books about, you know, men or women or relationships or whatever, is that I had to be really careful to exclude anything that changed by different demographics. Um, so that it would be universal. Like, you know, if I got demographics back and and on whatever it was I was testing, if like black men answer different than white men, there's something other sure. than men going on, right? So I excluded anything that, that changed by demographics of mm. age or race or religious background or socioeconomic background. And so was really trying to get to this universal stuff. And I that's honestly why I think I just I think so. It's kind of like you, Rihanna, you know. <laughs> and you were left with kind of universal truths. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So your latest book is Through a Man's Eyes. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's it's essentially taking um a much closer look at something I covered in my main book about men, which is called For Women Only. Um, And it covers sort of the waterfront of a bunch of different things that are important to men that women tend not to know, right? Well, one of the most, I realized as I started looking at this more deeply, is that there is no other single issue that affects so many men and boys today that so many women are completely blind to than this issue of a man's visual nature and what it's like to be a dude in today's culture <laughs> and all the things that a man who wants to be honorable or, or you know, a boy who wants to learn to be honorable, all the things that face men every day that women just completely don't realize because turns out our brains are wired differently. We don't even see it the same way. And so we have no idea how to help, you know, for example, my son is 13. I need to know how to help him navigate a world in which 
No, basically, you men are being confronted in public with all these things we're only supposed to be seen in private. You know, how do you navigate that? So that's what that book is about. Well, when I was was looking at that book, it, what it struck me way back in the day when Dobson would say, you know, guys, number one, are turned on by what they see. Secondly, by what they see. And then thirdly, by what they see. And you know, just how visually driven they are and which would account for, you know, uh, the, the explosion of pornography. And um, but it was also you know, it was a running joke that if it wasn't for the gay community, Playgirl would not have you know, stayed in business because the women were just not there. They were not as visually driven. I'm curious as to your take on the the very curious and sudden rise in the number of women that are now using and are addicted to pornography. Actually, it's really interesting as we've looked at the research behind that because my research has only been tangential because I kept seeing as I interviewed and I've interviewed and now I've interviewed and surveyed more than 15,000 men and women and 3,000 teenagers. So I've got a pretty good sample size. And one of the things I've consistently seen is that girls and women do not get addicted to pornography by and large at all for the same reasons that men do. Um, and now many other people have studied this more in depth than I have. It, it didn't even become a huge piece of study for me because it was so minor compared to how it impacts men. With women, actually, it appears to be that they're being led into it in most cases, you know, not all, but in most cases, because their man is saying, look, this is going to be great for our relationship. And, you know, this adds spice to our sex life or, you know, or whatever. And that's, it's all part of and parcel with being tied into that. Now, if you want to talk about what is addictive for its own sake to women, honestly, one of the things that we've seen is romance novels. It, that it, that touches a woman emotionally in a very, very compelling way, in the same way that pornography touches a man emotionally. This is, we're going to get off that book real quickly, but with all of your writing on on the gender differences, if, if this will be a two-parter, if, if you could tell women, you know, of all the differences in your estimation and with your expert opinion, what would be the number one thing that women need to know about men that they may not understand? By far the most important thing for women that women need to know is that men look super confident. They look super like, I think I'm all that, and they're not. And oh, see, I disagree because I'm, I'm all that. <laughs> You're all that, right? Oh, yeah. Not Absolutely. you, of course, right? This would not apply to Present either company of you. <laughs> of course. Okay. Um, but honestly, we have two very, very different sets of insecurities um, as men and women. And the way I describe it to women is that essentially, and this is the case from, again, this is statistically, there's always exceptions, right? This is the case for most women and most men. It's not all. But for most women, the question, the worry, the cry of the heart is, is this very deep, am I lovable? Am I, am I beautiful? Am I special? And it's kind of summed up with, am I worthy of being loved for who I am on the inside, right? We don't realize that for men, it is 100% different. Because for women, that leads to 
well, you know, I need to know that he loves me and he cherishes me and whatever. And with guys, they're kind of like, like, that's okay. But it's, it doesn't hold a candle to what's most important to them because the inner cry isn't, am I lovable? It's, am I able? Am I adequate? Am I any good at what I do on the outside? And there's so much self-doubt running under the surface Mm -hmm. that we women don't see. We don't know it's there. We have no idea that it's like a raw nerve that we can hit. We have no idea of that. And once we get that and grasp that, we, we understand that that is why we can say I love you all day long. But what a man most needs and is most touched by is appreciation and trust that I trust him and that I respect him and I believe in him and I admire him. Like all of that is way more important to the average guy, even than um, feeling that his wife or his girlfriend loves him. And I guess that's why, you know, in, in the, in Chapman's love languages, you know, words of affirmation are always, you know, guys kind of number one, most guys. Uh, now, the follow-up of that, obviously, is what's the number one thing men need to know about women that they do not grasp? If you, if you could possibly just whittle it down to one, there's, there's a myriad of those things. <laughs> well, well, actually, one of the greatest things that will decode any woman for any man that's listening is recognizing what I just said about the different insecurity and see, cause women, we, men know that women need to feel loved, right? Like that's not a surprise. The surprise for men is how easy it is for her to not feel loved. And it's because there is that question inside, even if she's in a great relationship, a great marriage, you know, even if she's a confident woman who's very accomplished it does not change the fact that underneath the surface just like you as a guy might be thinking you know do i measure up you know am i any good at what i do she is thinking am i lovable is he glad he married me would he choose me all over again and guys in marriage i think you guys that question tends to go away for you <laughs> you know like of course she loves me We're married, you know yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's like okay on to the next thing flip the switch and not realizing that for a woman, there is no switch that gets flipped to this, oh, I feel permanently loved now, you know, position. She has that question every day. Am I lovable? You know, is he glad he married me? So she needs to know the answer to that every day. Very nice. You know, Shanti, I don't know, just between you and me, you're really good at this. <laughs> you should possibly <laughs> write some of this down. Yeah. In, I write some of it down. Seriously. <laughs> Um, all right, and this is going to be my last one before I hand it over to Josh. But you know, you you write so much about gender and gender differences. Uh, when I saw, I kind of got pumped when I saw you were you you were going to be on the show because of what's kind of currently out there with the Target bathrooms and when the this explosion of transgender issues. Um, I'm interested in your take on you know if a child likes. You know, a young child, five or six, gets dressed up in a dress and kind of likes it. Uh, we we tag them with being transgender. I mean, I wore a dress when I was little. Uh, but that explains a lot, by the well, way. Well, but it made my butt look big and my <laughs> legs were just horrendous. So I took it off pretty quickly. But it, it, you know, this idea that, that kids can almost, it seems like, pick a gender. Uh, what is your take on the whole transgender thing that's going on right now? Well, look, there are certainly, because I'm not a a doctor, I'm not a medical doctor, um, 
because I'm not, there are certain things about the biology that I'm going to have to leave to the doctors to, mm. to discuss, right? Um, but the one thing that I do know, in, in most cases, and again, there may be exceptions to this that I don't fully understand, the neurological implications, whatever. But in most cases, truly the gender um, wiring is set in utero when the fetus is about eight weeks old. So there's sort of some debate on that. But there's a testosterone wash that goes over babies that are destined to be male, and it completely changes the structure and the wiring of the brain. You know, too much to get into here, but there's some, it's pretty substantial, the changes that happen at that point. And one of the things that it used to be well accepted, and as you point out, has become more, um, it has become more controversial, even though I don't think it should be. Um, but it used to be accepted that if a little boy was putting on a dress, that there was something that needed to be dealt with emotionally. You know, that maybe he was just experimenting. It didn't mean that he was transgender. It didn't mean he was gay. It was just, you know, he was experimenting with us. Maybe he's a little boy who only has little girl friends. He hasn't connected with boys, and that's a time to go, okay, we need to connect to more with boys and, you know, have more of those norms established. And like I said, there may be some exceptions that go deep into the neurology that I'm not as aware of. Um, but in most cases, it's mostly just a signal that this is something to pay attention to, not that this is, okay, well, let's just, he's just transgender. So that's one of those things that I think we're, we're doing a disservice to so many kids by not saying this is an opportunity for us to look closer and figure out. Sure. What is it that they need that needs to be addressed here? So as we look as uh, from a parental point of view and raising young men and raising young women, you know, their their hearts cry for women. Am I lovable for men? And am I able? Can you kind of give us some parental tips as we look to 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 raise both men and women? Yeah, it's interesting. The the I guess the insecurity, that doubt we start to see that at very young ages. Now, I couldn't legally survey kids below the age of 15. All of my um, data from kids younger than that comes from just tons of interviews. Um, but, but it is interesting that there are some commonalities that especially dads need to know about daughters and moms need to know about sons because we don't automatically get the other gender. <laughs> um, and, and one of the things, honestly, for moms to recognize about their, their boys is that it, this longing, this desire to be good at what they do, this is huge, even from a super, super young age. And one of the best tools in any woman's toolbox are the words, thank you. And that applies to your husband. It applies to your three-year-old son. Like it, you would not think that it makes such a huge difference emotionally, but it does because it says, I noticed what you did and it was good and I appreciate it. And so start thinking about instead of, you know, just cuddling on your little boy and telling him I love you, which of course I love because I have a little boy, but you know, I love that. But instead of just doing that, look for times and ways and places that he's done things that you can say thank you for. And watch his chest puff out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, thank you for, for, for unloading the dishwasher. You did that absolutely great. And his chest puffs out. And, and then maybe the next day, 
you say, hey, you know, um, Luke, why don't you, um, next time you unload the dishwasher, you see how the cups still had water in them when you put them up in the cupboard? Maybe turn them upside down next time. Try that. Instead of doing what a mom naturally does, which is, oh, thanks for unloading the dishwasher, but you put the cups in wrong. Mm -hmm. Like for a boy, we don't realize it. Oh, that hurts. Sure. Like, all I'm doing is just saying you didn't put the cups in right. Chill. We got over it. No. For a guy and for a husband, you know, for a boy and for a, an adult man, that's actually really painful because it says what you did on the outside wasn't good enough. And and we don't see it that way, but that's what we're saying. So that's one of the things I always tell moms. Is look for the ways to say thank you and do correction later. Um, another thing for, for dads to know about daughters is recognizing, you know, you have this incredible opportunity to speak into that heart that's wondering, am I lovable? Am I beautiful? And you have an opportunity to build her up with that sense of there's no way to give her complete certainty because, you know, that's just an insecurity we all have. And she ultimately needs to get that from God. But um, to build her up so that she truly hears that from the most important man in her life, she is far less likely to go seek that in other places later. And that literally, it can be anything from just giving her big hugs and telling her how much you love her to telling her how beautiful she looks, to telling her how special she is, how beautiful she is on the inside, not just the outside, telling her all those places that, you know, I saw what you did with your brother and how, how kind you were when he was annoying you. You have such a sweetheart. I hope you never lose that. That's the kind of mm -hmm. thing that she stores up on the inside, and she never will want to lose it because her daddy told her. You also wrote a book, Surprising Secret of uh, The Surprising Secret of Highly Happy Marriages. Now, if you're married, everybody perk up your ears. Give us the secret uh, to uh, a happy marriage. Well, honestly, we found 12 little things that you wouldn't think mattered that really matter. Um, and the most important one is this. It basically is turning on its head what we naturally do as human beings, which is to believe the worst of our partner's intentions when we're hurt. The happiest couple that we were studying, which is how we came up with how we found this data, um, they turned that on its head. They refused to believe negative things about their partner's intentions towards them, even when they were totally legitimately hurt. We we naturally go, you know, as a woman, I might go, ow, you know, my husband knew how that would make me feel, and he said it anyway. And they would switch it. The happiest couples would say, ow, you know, the wife would say, that hurt, but no, I know my husband loves me. I know he cares about me so he must not have known how that would make me feel or he wouldn't have said it. And, you know, a guy might say, you know, dad, ugh, you know, nothing to do is ever good enough for her. No, no, I know that's not how she feels. I know that's not the case. So she must not know that that's actually really painful, which she tells me I didn't put the dishes into the cupboard right. And it's basically choosing to believe the best and looking for the more generous explanation of their behavior, which it, we're human. It's not always going to be the case that the more generous explanation is accurate. But in most cases, it is. We found more than 99% of couples, even in super struggling relationships, really, really cared about each other. So usually we're believing the worst 
wrongly. Sure. And that can be extremely hard to do, certainly in our sin and in our selfishness, choose to believe uh, the best in our partner. Um, how might a relationship with God uh, assist us in, in, in having a more uh, rose-colored glasses when we approach our wife? You know, honestly, for me, one of the things I was fascinated to find with these happiest couples is that, that their relationship with God made a huge difference in their marriage and their ability to be happy, part, partly, I think, because we know something supernatural happens. You're not just relying on your own strengths, right? You're, you're recognizing, I am, I am a stupid, sinful person. There's no way that I can be truly selfless my spouse. And yet that's to some degree what marriage requires. It requires not just focusing on yourself, which is our natural instinct, but focusing on what's best for them. Um, and to, to some degree, being able to say, God help, <laughs> I can't sure. do that. That makes a huge, huge difference. Statistically, I was actually just as a quick aside, it was interesting. I, I did tons of random interviews. I, you know, I do that. I've done that for years and all the research, not just these big nationally representative surveys, but I stopped people in coffee shops and in airports and asked them questions. And, um, and it's interesting when I would come across a happy couple and, you know, I did this whole thing where I had this little survey figured this out to figure out where they were and the scale of happiness that, you know, they didn't know how the other person was answering but it was funny, the happiest couples, random people in coffee shops, when I would say, what's your secret? They would look at each other and then look at me like they're trying to decide how to say this. <laughs> and they'd say, it's because of Jesus Christ. Oh. And you could tell they were kind of like, ooh, this is a chance to share God with a social researcher, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but honestly, I was stunned by the number of times a random interview came up with that. Um you have a new book coming out in January. Um, kind of communicate what's the title, kind of what's the gist, uh, what are your hopes for that book? You know, this is my next big research project. It's called The Kindness Challenge. And it's essentially, the, the subtitle is 30 Days to Improve Any Relationship. And what we basically found um, in this body of research that we've done over the last couple of years is that truly kindness is a superpower. Like if you want to thrive in your life, if you want to thrive in your relationships, it turns out it is far more correlated to how you treat other people than how you yourself are treated. And that is so the, re the reverse of what we tend to think in our culture. Like, I need to be focusing on my rights and what's going to make me happy and what I need. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But that tends to pull us from what is likely to actually accomplish that, which is to focus on how do I be kind to others. And so we, we found that if you do these three things for 30 days, and we tested people before and after, the results were dramatic. And we call it the 30-day kindness challenge. Mm -hmm. And it's to not say anything negative about the other person, either to them or about them to somebody else, because mm -hmm. <laughs> that's usually the hard part. Number two is to find one thing to praise that you can affirm and tell them every day and tell somebody else. And then do a third is to do a small act of kindness or generosity for them. And you do those three things for 30 days, and it's, it was astounding. We saw 89% of improvements of, of relationships improve. And it didn't matter whether it was a close wow. relationship like a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, you know, like your 
your mother-in-law or your colleague that you want to strangle at the office. I <laughs> like mean, Jimmy? It, honestly, it, it, it made a huge difference. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's interesting. The same thing that Scripture uh, calls us to deny ourselves to, culture really calls us to, to be true to, and that's ourselves. Um, scripture calls us to deny ourselves, and and when we do that, it really frees us up to be to to be for the interest of others and to be kind to others. Um, well, the, and that's, the interesting part about the the being kind thing is that we think we already are. <laughs> we, we think we already are being kind to others. We think we already are denying ourselves, and we try. I mean, I think probably most of your listeners. Are like that. I thought I, you know, I was like that, and then I started actually cataloging. For example, in the research, okay, the number one thing in the 30-day kindness challenge is don't be negative, don't say anything negative. I started cataloging the types of negativity, and I would have said I was a super positive person before, and then I got all these results back, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am <laughs> negative and unkind every stinking day, and I have no idea. Like for just one example, I learned that exasperation is a type of negativity Mm. and I am exasperated with my kids every day. And I didn't realize I was saying you're an idiot, you know? (laughs) So so that's the thing is we do have to learn how to be kind. (laughs) Sure. And our kids need to learn how not to be little idiots. I think that would help. (laughs) Guys, if you want more information about Shanti, you can find her at Shanti.com. That is S-H-A-U-T-I. And on Facebook and Twitter. It's actually S-H-A-U-N-T-I. N-T, sorry, yeah. Um, And then on Facebook and Twitter, it's Shanti Feldhahn. You can find her both there on Facebook and Twitter. Shanti, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. It was great to be with you. I love her. I love her too. Oh my goodness. But you get that when she's just swimming in all of this data and the data speaks for itself. You know, that you, you kind of find some truths that emerge from the research. And um, so she has some very, very relevant things to say. Yeah. And I loved her piece about men being weak. Um, and I often tell that to, to couples. It's great that she has the research to back it up. But for however strong men are, they have extremely weak egos. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we're just we're hurt. Pathetic. Yeah, we're just hurt very easily. Um, and so th- I thought that was a, a good thing that she pointed out. Her take on the transgender uh, was just right in line with the, you know, the National Association of Pediatrics, you know, saying that letting a child pick their gender is tantamount to child abuse. But because she does, kind of, I mean, my Lord, if there was anyone who had something to say about that, it would be her because that's what she's really spent so much of her working life on is, is researching and defining those gender differences and how understanding those differences can make us relate so much better. Because sometimes we think marriages is almost like God's sitcom. It's just like, oh, Peter, come here, come here, come here, come here watch this. It, sure. Because we just so don't get each other. Sure. Uh, women completely understand other women and guys tend to grunt and understand other guys. But with God's design to throw those two opposite creatures into one room for several decades, um, seems like a train wreck ready to happen. But understanding things from, again, from research, which is again, why I just love this approach is you get to learn, how do I speak that language? How do I communicate with an, an alien being? that I don't understand. So uh, 
Anything that you can pick up from Shanti, get it. Yeah, and just real quickly, I loved her decoding of women. Uh, the cry of their heart being, am I lovable? Um, and while they can feel secure and while they can feel lovable from time to time, she said it's very easy for them to feel unlovable. It's oh, very easy for her to kind of switch backwards and have those doubts. Um, and so as a, as a male, being patient with that, um, and, and not being uh, frustrated and exacerbated by um, her, her understanding that at one point and then not the, the very next second. Well, and, and, and moms telling sons thank you. I think we always yeah, got the thing that. of dads, you know, hugging the, the daughters and telling them that they're, they love them and they adore them and they're beautiful. But mom's telling their sons thank you. That was good. If you want more about this show, uh, you can check out our show notes at paradoxpodcast.com. You can also sign up for our email list to serve. You can also follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's Docs Podcast. You can find me, Josh, at those three platforms. It's Doc Josh Myers. On Facebook, I'm Dr. Jimmy Myers. And on Twitter and Instagram, at J Myers Fam. Guys, have a good day. Great day. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. and researched by Dr. Jimmy and Dr. Josh Myers. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescarr.com. If you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. We're called to be salt and light. The idea being preservation and giving taste and shedding light and healing and we should uh, the hope we have in god should be should make us not only set apart but actually attractive